0: We do not just sit and soak. I'm going to ask you to participate.
1: So if I ask you a question this morning, please answer.
0: It's okay even for you white people. God will not strike you if you speak out loud in the church, right? Okay. What we want is we want a big community, a family meeting, where everybody's participating in some way. We're all learning and growing together. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. So turn with me to Ephesians 4. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, starting in the 10th verse, Uh, by the way, it is March 17th, 2013, our message this morning is called Pillars. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. Some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. If He gave some to be these things, He did not give all to be these things. This is what's been affectionately referred to as the fivefold ministry. This is the government of God's church. Now I realize that depending on your denominational background, you may have accepted a different kind of government. But this is the government that Jesus lays out. And it has a purpose, and the purpose is stated in verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I would like you to know that it is our highest ambition to help you discover what God has called you to do, and then to prepare you to do that to the best of our ability. We live for the purpose of serving Christ by serving you. There are apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists that Jesus himself sets aside in the body for this task. Because I read those words when I was first born again, and some of you were there when I was first born again 20 years ago, I began to focus on helping to prepare those who were called to ministry. And what I learned over time was that I was missing a huge segment. If he called some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists, and he didn't call all to be those, what about everyone who is not called to be in the government of the church? I remember being asked many times in my life, are you called to full-time ministry? As far as I can tell, there is no other kind of ministry. You're either a full-time Christian or you're not. But what people are asking is, are you called to be in the government of the church? Is this going to be your employment? Well, I was in the government of the church a long time before it was my employment. Can anybody out there say amen to that? Amen. Right? Even Paul was Let me. He, he made tents. He did all kinds of things. When it comes down to it, the body of Christ has many members and many functions. But we all have one purpose. It has to do with glorifying the Lord. It has to do with advancing the kingdom. It has to do with saying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we each have a role to play in that. This message today about pillars is about those kinds of roles. Some are in full-time ministry and some are not in full-time ministry from the standpoint of five-fold ministry. But all Christians 24-7 are full-time in the service of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Turn with me to Exodus, the 24th chapter, and we're going to look at full-time service to God as a pillar. Say there when you're there. There. You guys are fast. Exodus, the 24th chapter. So we we'll both go Genesis and Exodus, second book of the Bible. In the 24th chapter and the 4th verse. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And set up 12 stone pillars representing 12 tribes of Israel. In the inside of your bulletin you had something. It's a note section. And the very first note says a pillar is... When we read this, I'd like to show you that pillars were something that were chosen by God. They were representative of those who were chosen by God. What Moses does here is at the foot of the mountain where God spoke to him, he sets up a memorial. He sets up pillars. And each pillar is represented by a group of people that uniquely out of everybody on the planet was chosen by God. There are a lot of things that the Lord might choose you to do. In Genesis 18 the nineteenth verse, God chose Abraham so that he would direct his descendants, his household after him. The 18th chapter of Genesis has the father of faith. And it says that God chose him in order that he would direct his children. What a strange thing. A man could be chosen as the father of the faithful and it's not to preach. It's not to prophesy. It's not to go heal the sick or raise the dead. That's not his occupation. Abraham, the father of the faithful, Genesis 18, 19 says, was chosen to direct his children and his household after him. A pillar is somebody that God has chosen and said, this is a standard. It's a standard that I want you to see. Would you say Abraham is a pillar in the faith? We teach our kids to sing, Father Abraham had many sons. We call ourselves children of Abraham because we're of the faith of Abraham. And yet, what was he first chosen to do? Just direct his household. In Deuteronomy, the 14th chapter, you have a nation. Keep your finger in Exodus. You have a nation that was chosen. And they were chosen for a specific reason. The 14th chapter of Deuteronomy and the 12th verse says it like this. I get that right, 12th verse, 2nd verse. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. He chose one man and said, I've chosen you to direct your household. I remember when Eric Trister gave a message on the mission field. We were in North Mexico. He was telling me how God told him to dedicate his household to the work of the ministry. Not long after that, after in his turnaround time, in his extra budgeting time, and whatever he had left over, including his time, he directed his household towards working for Jesus. We began to see his children coming alive for Jesus. We began to see revival in a family. He became, in his household, a pillar, the same way that Abraham did. We see in Deuteronomy that God chose the nation of Israel, and for two reasons. He wanted them to be holy, and he wanted them to be his treasured possession. Man, what a special thing to be treasured by God. You know, most of the time, if you ask people and you get them to be honest with you, they feel guilty before God. They might even feel oppressed before God, might feel like God is angry with them. And it might be that he is. I guess it depends on who we're talking to. But it doesn't have to be that way. The right relationship with the Lord leaves you treasured in His presence. A pillar representing what all can be. By the time you get to the 15th chapter of John, Jesus said to a very special group of people, Remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you. This will be in the 15th chapter of John starting around the 18th verse. If you would like to turn there. If not, I almost never lie when I preach. 15th chapter of John, 18th verse. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. Remember that they treated Jesus terribly? They treated Jesus terribly because he was... None other than the one God had chosen to carry out His will. Being a pillar, first and foremost, means that you were chosen by God. Is there anyone in here that was not chosen by God? He said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You show yourself to be chosen when you respond to the Lord. I'd like to encourage you that a pillar is something that's foundational. A pillar pillar is something that is representative. A pillar is something that helps hold everything else up. But it starts when you recognize that you were chosen for a purpose. You know, I think maybe our teenagers wouldn't be killing themselves if they knew they had a purpose. I think maybe our housewives would not be dwelling in depression if they knew that they had a purpose. We often relegate everything to God. We say, oh, well, if God wants it done, He'll do it. Of course, He calls you His body on earth. Did the Lord deliver Israel out of Egypt? Yes. Two of you said yes. Did the Lord deliver Israel out of Egypt? How did He do it? He used a man to do it. See, He chose a man as His representative, and He used that man to do it. Did the Lord give the promised land to Israel? Yes. 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 But he did that by raising up Joshua and saying, Go in and take what I have given you. Did the Lord give you eternal life? Yes. But Paul told Timothy, Take hold of it. You have a role in salvation. And it begins when you realize that you were chosen. chosen for a purpose. I'd like to say the second thing a pillar is. We can find this as we read in Exodus 24. Picking back up, it says, He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing 12 tribes of Israel. Then He sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. A pillar is one who's drawn near to the Lord. Since you're already in Exodus, flip over to Leviticus. I know most people think Leviticus is a boring book. This is because we've not taken the time to study it. Leviticus in Hebrew is Vayibra, and it literally means he called. It comes from the first few words of the book of Leviticus, where it says the Lord called to Moses. The book of Leviticus is a story of a holy God calling to an unholy people, and he's telling them how they can become holy, how they can approach him. In the first chapter, it says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord. (coughs) You know, in the first five chapters of Leviticus, there are five different kinds of offerings. When we read it, it's simply the word offering. But when you're reading it in the original language, there are five different kinds of offerings. And all of them are called something. And it's translated here as just offering." But in Hebrew, it's korban. Some of you are reading other translations remember that from the New Testament. Oh, something was dedicated to the Lord. They ignored their parents because the offering was korban. You might recognize that from New King James. That is an untranslated Hebrew word. And you know what it means? It means something you brought near to the Lord. In the book of Leviticus, what you hear is that the Lord is calling and people are wanting to respond. They want to bring something to him. And so in the first five chapters, the Lord says, if you really want to respond to my call, if you want to bring something to me or draw near to me, here's five ways you can do it. And in each of the first five chapters of Leviticus, he lists five steps that you move closer to the Lord. A pillar is somebody who draws near to the Lord. The actual scripture in Exodus 24 said a fellowship offering. You can find that in the third chapter of Leviticus. I want you to see it because there's a point to be made here. Leviticus 3.1 If someone is offering a fellowship offering, in Hebrew this is selim, you can hear it sounds like shalom. Fellowship and peace are the same thing in Hebrew. We're not very well going to have fellowship with each other if we're not in harmony with each other. If we're at war with each other, we're not going to have fellowship. Understand fundamentally that God does not want to be at war with you. He wants you to be at peace with him. He wants you to have fellowship with him. And if he is calling to you and you recognize it, you're on your way to becoming a pillar. And then if you recognize it and you make peace with him, there's a way to do it. And he's going to tell us that right here. If someone is offering, if someone's offering is a fellowship offering and he offers an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he is to present before the Lord an animal without defect. His, he is to lay His hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now when you hear this, you've been in church before, so these words are not new to you. But I'd like you to think back to the first time that you hear them or imagine it over again. If you want to bring something near to the Lord, if you want to make peace with the Lord, if you want to have fellowship with Him, there's only one way to do it. There's one place on the planet that you could go meet with Him in this day and it was called the tent of meeting. But before you stepped to the tent of meeting, right at the entrance of it, something perfect would have to shed its blood. And you would have to be the one that shed it. You would have to look at and recognize your guilt. In fact, it wasn't enough just to shed its blood. He specifically says, you have to lay your hands on its head. What is this foreshadowing? What is the Lord trying to teach us? Pillars are those that recognize they were chosen by God. They're supposed to represent Him before the nations. They're also those who took personal responsibility for having peace and fellowship with the Lord. It was not just a communal decision. It was not, I'm a Christian because my parents are a Christian. It, is, it was my sin that killed Jesus. I figuratively reached out and put my hand on His head. It was me who put that crown of thorns there. See, that's that's His sacrifice for me. It feels great to say Jesus died for the sins of the world. It feels terrible to say he died for your sin personally. But that's the first step towards becoming a killer. You were chosen by God. He's calling to you. He wants to hold you up as a representative. It starts with personal responsibility for your sin so that you can have fellowship with God. Now that's a novel concept today. And the reason that it is is because we've fallen in the footsteps of Adam. When Adam said, who did he blame? He said, well, look, Lord, all I know is, is the woman you gave me. So maybe it was her fault, or maybe I'm being so bold, God is to blame you, because you gave her to me. But in any case, whether it's her fault or your fault, we know it's not my fault. Then we go to the woman, and what did she say? Look, uh, Lord, it was, it was that snake. And By the way, who made that snake? Yeah, so God, whether it was the snake or it was your fault, we don't know. But what we know is, it's not my fault. And see, this transform of the blame has been rolling on through the ages so that you stand out in society as someone who represents God simply by standing up and saying, the buck stops here, it's my fault. It's my fault. My sin and no other made this a bad situation. But I'm going to lay my hand upon the shoulder of Jesus. As Job 9 says, he'll mediate between us, remove God's wrath from me. Being a pillar is to be personally redeemed, In a very personal way. Can you say
1: amen?
0: Amen. If you cannot say amen to that, then you might need to reach out and put your hand on the head of the Savior. You may have heard all about Jesus. You know, I I know a lot about Bo Jackson. Some of y'all don't remember who that is. But, you know, at 240 pounds, he set a world record for the fastest 40-yard dash. He played two professional sports at one time. And when I was a kid, he could jump rope with two-inch chains. And there were sparks coming off the ground when he did it. And he never had to work out. He was always stronger and faster before all of those things. I can tell you all about Bo Jackson. But we were never friends. We never sat in each other's living room. We never knew each other. Jesus never to be like that in that day. Many will say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. For not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You want to be a pillar in the kingdom of God? We first know that we represent God. We were chosen by Him. Secondly, we're drawn near to Him in fellowship by taking responsibility. Go back with me to Exodus 24. We're going to stay there for most of the day. Is that okay? Are you bored already? We have such a short attention span. Do you know in that they will sit in the sun and listen to you preach for hours and hours? It never occurred to them to have air conditioning or padded seats. And God moves according to that hunger. If I could stir you towards anything today, and I've been thinking about it since 5 a.m. when Matt and I walked through the door. We've done that now for almost 20 years. We invite you to join us. Their time is pretty slim this morning. If I could invite you to do anything, It would be to stir up a hunger for the Lord. Because the reality is He will fill you with as much as you want to be filled. But if you're full already, then there's not a lot He's going to do for you. He set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 5. Then He sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood. And put it in the bowls. And the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The third thing that pillars are, are those who obey the whole counsel of the word of God. Now, when we're talking about a scripture for memory, friends, how many hours in a day? Really? Come on. How many hours in a day? 24. How many days in a week? Exodus 24, 7 teaches us that we will do everything that the Lord has commanded us. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, no time off because I am on my way to becoming a pillar in the house of God. I don't want to talk about when I used to be in Egypt. I don't want to talk about your time in Egypt. I am on my way to where God has called me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I've been chosen to represent Him. I personally identify with Him. And I will obey the whole counsel of the Word of God. It might be worth noting that 1 John, that scripture that was just on the screen, 2 and 5, has something to say about obeying the whole Word of God. Tell me there when you're there. Keep your finger in Exodus. This is 1 John uh, two, five. Just Joel. What happened to the rest of them? Okay, we're getting better. The man who says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, I hate to use this kind of language, but that really cuts through the garbage, doesn't it? In a time period when the seven churches of Asia Minor were not doing so well, he had to warn them and tell them to repent of heresies, to stop tolerating Satan's deep secrets, to stop putting up with Jezebels who were teaching, when he had to warn them that there were only a few who had not defiled their garments, all of those things. John writes 1 John. And he says something that's plain. is If anyone obeys God's word, God's love is truly made complete in Him. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Now I know religion as a whole has told you it's not even possible to do that. We aim for it, but we just can't do it. I say that's garbage. God wouldn't tell you to do something that you can't. I think He put His Spirit in you. For the express purpose of empowering you to walk as Jesus did. Did you know that Jesus got tired? Jesus got hungry. I can show you both. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, Luke said. He was a man just like you operating as a man. Except the fullness of your deity was inside him and there was no sin to obscure him. He is the son of God. He is deity. And yet. He limited himself, Philippians said, and became a man just like you. Oh, what a step down that was. The God of the universe who created your eye and all of its workings suddenly had to have his eyes open so he could see. The one that made your ear and all of its inner workings got to use them for the very first time. He had to learn to walk. He knew exactly what it was like to walk in the flesh that you walk in. And his spirit is available for us to help us walk just like he did. I bet his feet hurt. I bet he got tired. All of those things. Have you ever read in John 4 that tired as he was from the journey, he stopped by well? But when he was tired, what did he do? 24-7, he was ministering, friends. He found a woman that nobody else wanted to talk to. And that one encounter changed her whole life. And what do you do when you're tired? See We need to obey the whole counsel of the Word of God. Christianity is not something that happens on Sunday and Wednesday. It's not something that happens to you at all. Christianity is not defined by the things that you do not do. Well, I'm a Christian because I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't (coughs) date girls that do. I don't know why you think you're a Christian. Christians are Christians because of what we do. We walk as Jesus walked. James 4.17 defines sin as the good that you know to do and do not do. (laughs) If anyone then knows the good that he ought to do and does not do it, he sins. But we've learned to define sin as doing bad things. Of course that's sin. That's not how the Bible puts it though. The Bible tends to put it when you fail to do what God tells you to do. It's sin. I want to encourage you church. To rise to become pillars. You do not have to be in a five-fold ministry to do this. You've not heard one requirement that puts you in the government of the church. Were you selected by God? Do you have a function in the kingdom? Has He drawn you near in fellowship? Has He given you His word and asked you to obey it? Oh, you're on your way to becoming a pillar. Here comes Exodus 24. We want to catch this last part here. It's verse 8 moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said this is the blood of the covenant that the lord has made with you in accordance with all these words now the apostle paul wrote to the corinthians and he said these things happen to them as examples for you on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come what a strange thing moses is acting out he goes to the foot of a mountain where he has heard god's voice and a whole nation did He sets up 12 pillars representing all of the tribes of Israel, the people who are in covenant with God. They're going to be a memorial for the whole world to see for all time. And when he does this, part of the act is sprinkling the altar and the people with blood. What separates you from the world? What makes you different? It happened when you laid your hands upon the head of Jesus because he also laid his hands upon you. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Say there when you're there. Peter is one of my favorite books. What a humble man. What a man full of power. Did you know that his shadow healed people in the scripture? This would be 1 Peter 1. And I want to read to you 1 through 4 so that you hear this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Friends, what sets you apart? You're set apart because you were called by God. And as you drew near to Him, He cleansed your heart. He cleansed it with the The sacrifice of his own life. Hebrews 10 19 begins to speak about it a little differently. And it talks about our confidence that we should have to draw near to him. How confident are you? Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By what? By your own merit? By your religious deeds this week? Because you got up and prayed on time? Because you read the word? time because you witnessed to ten people how is it that you enter into his presence it's the blood of Jesus did you buy it were you gifted it from your parents it comes when you recognize he chose you and you respond to that call and when you respond to that call that you lay your hands upon him and he lays his hands upon you and that results in a life that is forever changed By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I'd like to tell you that if you're walking around with a guilty conscience today, it's an offense to the cross. Either you're guilty because you will not go to the cross, or you feel guilty because the devil's lying to you as if you haven't been to the cross. But those who are in Christ are not supposed to walk around with a guilty conscience. He gives us power over sin. He gives us an assurance of faith. When you trust him and you do what he says, he will make you a pillar in the house of God. When you do not do what he says, if you are faithful to confess it, if you will confess it, he's faithful and just and forgiving. Our king is an amazing king. You know what he requires? He requires you to own up to the life that you're living. He might even require you to go repent to your friends. He might require you to make a public confession. Today, we've made Christianity so personal that it's private. No one knows when we sin. And when we sin, we call it weakness. Did you know that the Bible says to rebuke an elder publicly? You know why? He's a pillar in the house of God. He represents how God deals with His chosen people. But it's not just elders who are pillars in the house of God. We're all supposed to be growing into pillars in the house of God. Pillars have names and functions in the Bible. Did you know that? Turn with me to 2 Chronicles 3. We're going to be there for just a little while. Say there when we're there. Y'all are having problems finding 2 Chronicles. Are those pages stuck together in your Bibles? Say, no, Pastor, I love 2 Chronicles. No, Pastor, I love 2 Chronicles you know not we're going to speak a thing until you do. There is no part of the word of God that is filler. There's nothing in here that just needs to be blotted out. There was a time when a boy named Josiah in his reign, they found the book of the law. <laughs> How do you lose it? You lose it when it becomes so commonplace that you treat it with contempt. It's like leaving your Bible on the back dash of your car all week. Or worse, leaving it in church all week. The one place we don't need it. I would encourage you to love, and treasure, work God. Look, Solomon was building a temple, and I'd like you to see verse seventeen. He erected the pillars in front of the temple, one to the south and one to the north. The one to the south he named Jachin, and the one to the north Boaz. <laughs> do you recognize that name, Boaz? Yes. You do, don't <laughs> you? He's a millennial of Christ. Who did he marry? He hunted up next to Ruth, baby Ruth, right? Did you know that Ruth, the second chapter, says about Boaz? He was a man of
1: standing.
0: You know what Boaz was not? He was not a priest. He was not an apostle. He was not a teacher or pastor or evangelist. He was simply a family man. But where would any of us be without Boaz? Well, you couldn't have Christ because he's in the lineage of Christ. When we're looking at what pillars are, I want you to know that they have names, in function Boaz means in God is strength I would like to tell you whether you're a priest or you're a family man when you recognize that standing in God is what makes you strong when you live a life that represents that to the rest of the world you're on your way to becoming a pillar now Jachin is entirely different than Boaz he's a priest and his name Uh, quite literally, means God established. Who made Him a priest? Only God could do it. I want to tell you, as somebody who stands in that role, I am the last person anyone would have picked to be a pastor. And the number one thing that I get today, when I tell people I'm a pastor is, really, you're a pastor? They could put me in any other occupation. But the Lord established this function in my life. There's something about knowing what you've received from heaven. The disciples of John the Baptist and Jesus had begun to argue. It was a concern because they said that Jesus was baptizing. It was not actually Jesus who was baptizing, but his apostles. And they came back to John and said, That guy that you spoke about, you know, he's over there baptizing more people than you are. I mean, Jesus, his steeple's gonna get higher than yours. We should compete, you know. That was a joke. Except it's true. And y'all know it. You know the churches that are doing it. John the Baptist had the best response. A man can receive only that which he was given from heaven. You have a role. He chose you for a role. The sooner that we embrace it, we take personal responsibility for it. We stand in it as established by him. And let him be our strength. We are like pillars. These pillars that were erected in the temple were different. They stood there not so much to support the building, which is what other pillars did. They had no functional role except a reminder to the people. God wanted at the front of his temple, at the front of the Temple of Solomon, on the north side and the south side, he wanted something. He wanted an example of a priestly family. And he wanted an example of a family man. Both pillars in the house of God. You know, he called all of Israel and represented them by 12 pillars, but out of Israel he picked the Levites to become priests to him, did he not? What were the others then? Were they less chosen? Were they less called? Did they have a less function? Our God values us not
1: based on our function, but based on our obedience and love. He does.
0: He drew you into a relationship. In fact, He sent His apostles out. Now He sends us out. (coughs) Teaching people to obey what He commanded. And baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That you might have the fullness of the character of God in your life to represent Him. He did not send people out to teach us to believe. He did not send people out to teach us to pray a prayer at an altar. He did send them out to teach us to obey everything that He commanded and make disciples. I'd like to tell you that pillars do not have to be in the fivefold ministry, but they do have to be established by God and stand in His strength. Is there anybody that wants to become a pillar in the house of God? You know what these two things stood for? They stood at the front of the temple as a reminder. (coughs) Whether you were secular or you were clergy. Whether you were laity or you were priesthood, you were chosen by God. Embrace your function. Be established in it. Stand in it. And support the work of God. Did you know in Hebrew there is no way to say spiritual life? What a strange thing. Like in America we say, well, you know, um, I have my work and then I have my, my spiritual life or my church. And we separate the two. In Hebrew you say chai. Like chai, how are you? And it means life. The life that God gave. And how did you get God? He violently breathed it into you. A mighty rushing wind. Just like He breathed it into us at Pentecost. All life is spiritual to the Hebrews. There is not part of your life that is secular and part of your life that is for God. Your whole life belongs to Him and that's what life is. So whether your profession was priest or your profession was farmer and family man, you could be a pillar in the house of God doing what He called you to do. Now, in this church it's been said to me, so I can assure you it's been said in conversations that didn't involve me, it's like Aaron doesn't value people who don't go on the mission field. It's like we can't even be noticed if our work is not preaching and teaching. I'm not going to ask you who said it. Some of you are bold enough to say it to me. God values you when you're obedient to what He has called you to do. You become useful for Him. Did you know that you are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works? He didn't save you just to save you and say, Hey, I have a trophy. Look, this one's saved. He saved you for a purpose. My job is to raise you up for the purpose He saved you for so that you cannot just start but complete the work that He gave you. So why is it that we place such an emphasis on missions? Well, Jesus didn't just say, five-fold ministry, I want you to go to the nations. He commissioned the believers of His time to go to the nations. And I know that something happens. When we get you outside of America's bubble, when we get you a little further from Taco Bell than Pizza Hut, and you find out that food has to come out of the ground or be killed, When you find out that not everybody has the latest government insurance program, not everybody has everything handed to them, you see the people who trust God. And in seeing the purity of their faith and watching God move, it does something for us. It reminds us that we're to be pillars in the house of God. It reminds us how to take our stand in this dark time. I'm interested in missions because it's the work of God. It completes the great commission. I'm not willing that any should perish because I represent Him.
1: And He's not willing that any should perish. As to preaching and teaching, I believe that Jesus
0: said He was the light of the world and He didn't leave it there, did He? He said, you are the light of the world. Didn't He say it in Matthew 5? He left you to do His work. I say preach wherever you go, 100% of the time. And whenever it becomes necessary, use words. Yeah, did you hear me? See, we turn on these lights and they don't make any noise. But everybody in the room can see. I believe that you're supposed to stand out for Jesus wherever you go. I think that you hold out the word of life in a crooked and perverse generation like a big beacon in the sky. And I think that he will anoint you to use words when it's necessary. But you ought to be witnessing everywhere you go. That makes you a pillar. These men's job, the names on the pillars, were simply to be an example to everyone. If we asked you a question to look to your right and your left and look in front of you and behind you, who are you an example to? Well, it starts for sure with the members of your own household. Your children will learn more from watching you than hearing you. There is no question about that. And then you know that they're listening to you because they repeat the things that you would rather that they didn't hear. <laughs> oh, pastor, I don't know where he heard that word. I bet I did. <laughs> yeah. And then it radiates outside of your house. The gospel started in Jerusalem and then it went to Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. It starts with what we're living in our own home, but it must radiate outward. Who are you an example to? Well, we start with the children and the relatives in your own house, but then where do we move? Who else are you an example to? See, a light is not hidden under a bushel. It's put on a lampstand. So I ask you, who are you an example to? We're called to be pillars in the house of God. You are your brother's keeper. Your life should be like a living epistle. Actually, the scripture says that you are a living stone being built into a spiritual dwelling for God Himself. Is that what people see when they look at you? I ask that the Holy Spirit would move through the room, That you would become either Boaz or John. That you would be a priest established by God or you would be a man who stood in God's strength while he witnessed to his family and everyone else around him. But there is no middle ground. There is no third category. There was no pillar put out in the distance under a bushel that nobody got to look at, that nobody got to see, that didn't represent, that was not touched by the Lord, that was not sprinkled. There was no secret pillar. There actually was one pillar outside Jerusalem. It's way south of Jerusalem. It's in the lowest place on the planet earth. It's a pillar that represents those who set out for something called with God and looked back, longing for the world. It's a pillar of salt. It's Lot's wife. Oh, everybody is going to be a pillar of one kind or another, aren't they? You'll either represent death and destruction to everyone around you, and that will be the example, or you'll be life and life abundant. Which one has the Lord called you? To Is that a fair question? Anybody in here believe that the Lord wants you to do death and destruction? See, John 10.10 teaches us that the thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But why did the Son of God appear? First John 3.8 says the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. We cannot participate in the devil's work while we're destroying it. If we're going to participate in Christ, then we are by necessity destroying the devil's work. We cannot look back. That's not the kind of salt of the earth Jesus was talking about. That's the salt of the Dead Sea that killed everything in it. You've probably heard it before, but I've floated in the Dead Sea twice. It's the strangest substance and the strangest view that I've ever seen. Everything pours into the Dead Sea and nothing pours out of it. And it caused death. It is so mineral rich that nothing can grow in it. There's no life of any kind in the Dead Sea because nothing flows through. Could there ever be a better metaphor for the church? Why is the church dead? Well, it's always learning and never new. Why is the church so dead? Because they hear all of the best message, but they put none of them into practice. I would like to tell you that pillars are pillars by the grace of God. None of us became a pillar under our own merit. Turn with me to Psalm 75. Say there when you were there. We give thanks to you, O God. Nobody said there. Did nobody go there? Did y'all get mad at me? What's happening? I'd give you a hymnal to throw at me, but we don't have them. We write most of the songs in our church. About half of what we sang today was written by somebody at the church. You know why? The scripture says everyone is to come to the hymn, a psalm, and a prophecy. And we took it seriously. We believe that the charismata, the gifts of the spirit, are supposed to operate in a church. We won't shy away from them. We're not going to push them in a back room. You know why? Because the 14th chapter of Corinthians tells us these things must be done for the strengthening of the body. We have not reserved for ourselves the right to observe the scripture. We've not reserved for ourselves the right to didact it. We don't edit it. We simply do our best to obey the whole counsel of the Word. And if there is some point that you think that we're off on, we are more than willing to discuss it. We love you. We love the Lord. And we want to move in any direction that is pleasing. It's only by grace that we stand here today. There are some things that are simply preferences, right? Some like to clap. Some like to dance. Some like to raise their hands. And every once in a while, we'll have a runner in here that does a lap, right? We're not saying that this is the only way to worship God. We're saying it's the only way we know how to worship God. And you're invited to do as best seems to you. But we stand as pillars in the house of God by His grace. The 75th Psalm says it like this. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. The Lord's name is near a pillar. In John 17... In the 11th verse, Jesus speaks, said, I protected them by the power of the name that you gave me. Let me start at the beginning. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. A pillar in the house of God is someone who is familiar with the character, authority, and body of work of Yeshua, Messiah. See, in Hebrew when you say a man's name, it's not just the phonetic sounds that come out that he's identified by. His name is his whole body of work. His character. It's everything that he's known by. If you want to be a pillar in the house of God, your name needs to be so closely identified with His that you are representing Him. What do you think it means to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? It needs to be immersed in their character, immersed in their body of work, immersed in their authority. By the time you're in Revelation 11, the 16th verse, Joy, you can go there. You see them using the name of the Lord. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Do you know that there is a day when we will stand before Him and we are either known by His name or we are not known by His name? How near are you to His name? Is Jesus simply the predecessor to a curse word in your house? Is Jesus the most loved and cherished word that comes out of your lips? Is Jesus to you life? Is His body of work to you your highest aspiration? Is His authority to you the greatest gift you ever received? Because pillars are near to His name. His name is near to them. How many of you have been to lunch with me? Not here, been out somewhere to lunch with me. I bet at some point or another I've beaten every one of you out of the check. And how did I do it? Come on somebody. In the name of Jesus, I've got this one. His name is near to me. I know how to use His name. I know what His name means. I've watched demons obey His name and I've watched broken bones heal. before my eyes because of his name. Many of you have been in those services. We can't lie. We can't make these things up. It's not like they happened in a corner.
1: Some of them are on videotape.
0: You know, you can post on Facebook that your child filled their diaper and you will get 300 laughters over it. You post that a woman got out of a wheelchair in front of 300 witnesses and walked home from the meeting. And you get six people related to you that go, neat. Yeah. pillar knows how to use his name. Do you know the name of Jesus? Do you want to use the name of
1: Jesus? Do you want to be associated with the name?
0: By the grace of God, he has given us his name. Men tell of your wonderful deeds. Are God's workings wonderful to you? Are his deeds wonderful to you? Do you tell of his deeds? Is church something that you go to to talk about church to people at church? Or do you go tell men about his deeds? When's the last time you started a conversation with somebody by saying, Let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you about his wonderful working deeds in my life. All too often in America, Christianity has become something we ascend to. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Great, so do the demons. What does that get you? When you begin to act on that belief, when you begin to witness to that belief, when you begin to walk in that faith, then the heavens open up and the kingdom is on the earth. Y'all know that we quoted Matthew 10:7 many times. As you go, preach. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. The gospel was never about simply acknowledging truth. Listen, I know that the Lord loves us. And we can preach that the Lord loves us every day. And many do. That's all they preach. And every once in a while, they'll throw in that God says you're a champion. And because of the self gratification in this, masses run to it. That has never been in question in my life. Does God love me? It has never been in question in my life that he calls champions. You know what has been in question in my life and is in question in the lives of men? What are you going to do about it? See, the gospel requires of you a very personal response. Do you tell men of his wonderful deeds? I tell you, I want to. This is my favorite characteristic of a pillar right here. You say I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge uprightly. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold pillars firm. You can always tell somebody who is personally acquainted with Jesus in a powerful way. Because when everyone else around them is shaking and trembling, they are standing in confidence. A thousand people can be laid off on a job and 999 of them go, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. What's going to happen? But the pillar says, the God to whom I belong will provide for me. Amen. Yeah. If y'all are all that scared, you can come to my house and I will tell you about His wonderful deeds in my life because He's not a respecter of persons. And if He did it for me, He'll do it for you. A pillar is not shaken by a presidential race. A pillar is not shaken by God. He's called you to be a pillar. It doesn't matter whether you're a priest or a family man. You're foundational to the kingdom. Your obedience is what makes the kingdom move forward. How about this one? Verse 6. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it is God who judges. He brings one down and exalts Another. The Lord desires to exalt pillars as an example. Joy, this would be the fourth one.
1: <clears throat> he
0: exalts a pillar as an example. Think of the ways that He did this in our lives. In John 13, He took a towel and water and He washed the disciples' feet. You remember why? In the verses 13 through 15, He said, I would set you an example that you should go and do as I have done to for you. God <coughs> washed the feet of people so that He would show us what we were to do. By the time you get to Philippians or Titus, you see other men following the example of Christ and expecting you to follow their example. This is what it means to be a pillar. You're an example to someone. You are representing Christ, which was the reason a pillar was chosen. So I want to ask you, where's your sphere of influence? Who is watching your life? And do you really have the right to live such a solitary life that no one is watching you? Can you hide in your homes while the world goes to hell? Can we feast on hell's box office and send the max and run to every send max movie that we can find and spend our lives in entertainment while the world goes to hell? He's raising up pillars in the house of God. And they are so that the world has an example. So that when everyone else is shaking, you can find the one in the room that is not. And go, that one represents the Lord. There's something different about Him. I want to tell you that this is the calling of every believer. And it's by the grace of God and Him alone, none of us are able to do these things without His power and work in us. But the last things that I wanted to tell you are in the sections that say they are those who overcome. Turn with me to the third chapter of the book of Revelation. This book is properly titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations, plural. In Greek it's the apocalypse, not the apocalypses. It's a revelation of the character of God that's played out in history. 3.12 says it this way. 3.11 I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. The first characteristic of a pillar is the title for this section. They are those who overcome. They overcome Because of the power of God. How dependent upon you? How dependent upon His power are you? How many of you keep planners? Raise your hand if you have a planner. Okay, now let's add to those hands. Keep them up. Those of you that have to-do lists or post-it notes. What is in your planner on your post-it note or in your to-do list that you cannot do without the Lord's help? I want you to think about that for a second. What are you planning in your life that you cannot accomplish without God's power to do it? If that answer is, I can't find a thing on my list, you're dreaming way too small. You're living way too selfish. See, because God's power is available for you to sacrifice all, to abandon all, to go out and accomplish what no one could. What do you think stories like David and Goliath are about? What do you think the stories about Deborah, the judge of Israel, facing Sisera with all the chariots are really about? What about the little nation of Israel facing all of the seven Canaanite powers? What do you think those are really about? They're about putting on your to-do list something that only God can give you victory in so that when He does it, you glorify Him. And everyone goes, there's a pillar of God. I want to be like that. Are we living too small, friend? Now, when you're encouraged in church to stretch your faith, when you're encouraged in church to dream bigger, it usually involves an appeal to your pocketbook because a man wants selfish games, fishing for funds. I don't want your money. You're what I want with all of my heart for you to accomplish what God's called you to do. And if you have things on your to do this that you can do firmly in your own strength, then you are not dreaming big enough are you. The pillars
1: pulled up a whole building. But when you look at them, they're not much to look at.
0: Their strength is in their foundation. Amen. Their strength is in their unity. Their strength is in the way that God constructed them and not in their appearance. I believe that there's going to be a day when God will expose whitewashed walls for what they are, Amen. and they will crumble on the man who propped them up. Amen. I want with all of my heart that you would stand in that day. First John 5, 4 through 5 teaches us who it is that overcomes. 1 John 5, 4 through 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. How many? Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You might think of faith as trust-grounded obedience. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. A pillar is an overcomer. A pillar is one who shows trust in the Lord in every situation, and so he wins every battle in God's strength. I would like to encourage you to drink bigger, to stretch further, to ask what impossible task. Do you have for me to do? Are we so scared that God is not with us that we cannot even try? I bet if we sat right here and took out a pencil and paper and you thought of the three hardest people in the world for you to witness to. I mean, the ones that you've already told that I've told you to go jump off of a bridge. The ones that it's hard for you to even forgive you're working at it regular. I bet we could add those to your to-do list and you would need God's strength.
1: In
0: well, there's a good question. When we're thinking about what it means to be a pillar in the house of God, are you multiplying? Are you making disciples? Who is following the Lord because of what they've seen in you? See, a pillar is an example to the rest of the world of what it's like to follow Christ. We're supposed to be pillars simply because... He chose us and we responded. If he chose us, we responded, and yet we failed to be pillars, it must be that somewhere along the way we got stacked. Somewhere along the way we got off track. Somewhere along the way we got a little selfish and a little small. Never again will he leave it. Verse 12 of the third chapter. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again. Will He leave it? Pillars are not fickle. They're permanent. They're permanent fixtures in the house of God. You can read this in John 10, 27 through 30 later. I would like to tell you that nobody can pull a pillar out of God's hand. Not out of the Father's hand and not out of the Son's hand. Nobody knocks down a pillar because they're so founded in the hand of God that the devil himself is not a problem. Understand that the scripture says to a pillar. Resist the devil. Stand firm and he will flee from you. There is no threat to us. Who stand in the hand of God. Because we're in the hand of God. A pillar has a permanent place in God's house. He stands there by a faith that cannot be shaken. I would that all of you were pillars. This is maybe my favorite part. About the pillar. Never will he leave it again. I will write on him. The name of my God. The name of God. Has to do with his character. And his reputation. What is written upon you. friends? When people look at your life. What is the first thing. That they would say about it? <laughs> Now I know. There's any number of ministries. That if you will sit in their seat. For three, four songs of worship, 25 to 30 minutes of preaching that includes an eight-minute offering. If you will do that, and then just leave, and not do anything so disastrous in that week that it embarrasses them. And maybe you put their bumper sticker on your, your car. If you'll do those things, they will love you, call you a champion, and say that's all there is to Christianity. And they'll have so many people flock to them that they have to have police, direct traffic outside I always wondered why it took a police presence to handle Christian traffic. And they'll have Secret Service agents in red coats with little earpieces to make sure none of the Christians get out of line, but they just move through the service like cattle. But when you meet the people, is the first thing that you would say, That one, that one represents God. Because my hope for you. It's not that you sin on your salvation and throw some change in the plate to tip God and appease your conscience. My hope for you is that you actually embrace the reason that He chose you. That you stand representative before all the nations and say, when you look at me, you're looking at a man who bears the name of God. Said, but Eric, I've got serious problems like I don't. The miracle of the gospel is that He will hang His name on a man with serious problems faster than He'll hang His name on the one that says He has none. He will hang His name on a man who is broken by his sin and beats his chest and asks for forgiveness. But He will hide His name from the man who has it all together. Oh, that we would be associated with the name of God He says that if we overcome, he will write the name of God upon us. What else does he say? The name of the city of my God. What an interesting thing. Pillars represent not only God's name, but they represent the city of God. Could you turn to Colossians 4 5 for me? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Why would this be said? Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The idea here is that when you meet people outside as a pillar, you represent the whole community of God. Have you ever met somebody from a church and you went, oh, that church is crazy because you met one person? Please don't do that because we have crazy people here. Right? And they'll say the same thing. I went to that church and this one guy was so weird. Well, yeah, the church is a hospital. It's full of weird people, it's full of broken people, it's full of people that are full of sin. But we don't leave people that way. We confront the situation. We do our very best to put them in a situation where God's name, character, authority, and reputation can be stamped on their lives and where they can become associated with all those that have done the same so that we represent not only God, but the people of God. A pillar in the house of God represents the whole community. We're not so individualistic as we might have thought. What you do affects your brothers and what your brothers do affects you. There's one more thing that you have room to write in your bulletin. We've got bigger bulletins. I will give you more to write. Never again will he leave it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Turn with me to Revelation 19. In the 19th chapter of Revelation, we find out a little bit about that new name. I saw 1911, just like pistol. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Say that with me. Faithful and True. Nobody ever went wrong by following the rider on this horse, friends. He is faithful and he is true. Your friends may lie to you. Your family might abandon you and your boss might steal from you. But the rider of the white horse is faithful and true. With justice He judges and? Oh, the loving Lamb is also a conquering warrior. Did you know that the day of salvation is also a day of retribution? He's not coming back for an award ceremony in the sky. He's coming back the way that a victorious king enters the city. And those who loved Him will embrace Him and be honored by Him. Those that did not love Him will be subjugated by Him. Oh, every knee will bow. How much better to bow now voluntarily. Is there anybody in here that's been so stiff before God that He couldn't make you bow? Anybody that has resisted His every call? Because His eyes are like blazing fire. His head has many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He said in Revelation 3 that he would write on you his new name, a name that no one knows but he himself. That new name is identified at his coming. Friends, if you're a pillar in the house of God, you may wear the name Boaz today, a faithful family name in whom is dwelling the strength of God. You may wear upon yourselves the name of Jaquien, a faithful priest in the house of God who was established by him. But in that day that is coming, you will not only bear the name of God and the new name he gives you, you will bear his new name as a victorious king. He said, those of you who have stood beside me in my trials, I shall confer upon you, a king. Amen. The answer to the prayer that he prayed when he taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You will be a part of doing his will on the earth. I don't know what that name will be. I can't begin to conceive of it. But I can tell you it will have such great authority. It will have such great body of work. It will have such an awesome reputation that it will have subdued the earth for a thousand years when every enemy is on the run from God and even wolves, And lambs are lying down together. It will reorder the whole creation and subject it to a singular man who is perfectly submitted to God. That name will be written on you if you're a pillar in the house of God. You know, pillars are so important. If we had two pillars in here and this were the temple today, one man who prayed to God one time Having been blinded by his sin, chained by his sin, in love with the things of the world that he never should have touched, stolen his calling from him. But the one man, chained, eyes put out, totally captive, in the house of Dagon put his hand upon the pillars that held that temple and leaned on them with the strength of God and destroyed the whole temple. Why do you think the devil is trying to keep you from becoming a pillar in the house of God? If you remove the pillars, where is the house? Friends, you are foundational to the work of God. Whether you're a businessman, a family man, a pastor or a priest, you are foundational to the work of God. So please don't let it be said anymore that Eric doesn't value people who are on the mission field. Or that if you're not called to full-time ministry, we don't value the very work of God depends upon you. Maybe we could be so big as to not excuse ourselves with an accusation against someone else. We just embrace what God has called us to do. Amen. Amen. And you know what? You start to stack pillars together and you can park any load on top of it and not one will crumble because they share the load together. We're at a stage in our ministry where we're not in the living room anymore. We've outgrown three buildings. We build... And I imagine we'll outgrow this one too. It's never been my goal. My goal is to raise up pillars. But I want to tell you, if with this many people, and half of us as flawed as could be, but moved by the power of God, we can touch five continents, support 12 missionaries, go to 23 nations in a year. What do you think we can do when all of you rise to become pillars of the gospel? If you are standing back waiting for the mega churches to do the work of God, I can tell you it's not going to happen. Do not give away what God has given to you to anyone. It's not everyone else's job to fulfill the Great Commission. It's yours. It's not everyone else's job to rise to become a pillar in the house of God. It's yours. I pray you take that seriously
1: today.
0: Some of you are trying to launch ministries. Some of you are founding ministries in your home. Some of you are running in this ministry for as long as you possibly can. We don't care where you advance the kingdom. We're
1: not territorial. We just want to be about the kingdom. Will y'all stand to your feet?